I'm glad to see you under new banner, new name, Grace Hill Church in 2019. Awesome. Are you guys excited to be here? Cool. Praise God. Awesome. There's so much uh, difference this year. I, I don't know, this year I was looking forward to come. Uh, not that I never look forward, but this time was special to look and see you. And I think we're growing in loving one another and just growing in affection to one another as we mingle. And it really doesn't matter when we see each other, Bible studies or Sunday mornings. Uh, we miss each other, don't we? And so this is great settings when we could spend a few days just worshiping, uh, loving, sharing Christ with one another. So with that, if you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 is a great chapter. Some people say that this is Mount Everest of the whole Bible. And we're going to climb through it. It's thick in forest with the doctrines. There's so many doctrinal trees over there, like sequoias. Every verse is basically a major doctrine. But I don't want to get us lost in the woods just to spend time on one particular doctrine or another and debate about predestination and so on. I just want to look from the bird's eyes, the wood. What does it lead us? And what's the riches of God's glory for us? So if you open your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, we'll read it and we'll pray. The sermon name, Blessed Union, and the whole camp is basically about the union. Union in Christ, union among one another. And I think this is a present issue for us, a present problem, a present thing that we would feel and understand what the true unity is and that we may grow into understanding that we are a unit in Christ and how can we relate to one another with this knowledge. So if you read with me, we pray, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you in peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in him. Also, we have obtained an inheritance 
having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given us as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of faith in Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease give thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, may give it to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with his working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him as at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Pray with me, Father, we thank you. We ask your blessings upon us. And we know that you God who love to bless and we pray that you bless us and enlighten our eyes to see what we have in Christ and that we may be united with Christ and with one another, that our comprehension, our understanding, our knowledge of you grow intimately big so that we feel and understand that you are with us and we are in you and that our life would exhibit that, would show in the church, would show in the world that we are one with God. We praise you. Give me grace as we expound this packed text. Make it simple to understand. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So blessed union. People have same interests. And they gather together because they have same interests. For instance, a smoker would find another smoker to smoke a cigarette together. Bad example, but it's true. Bikers, they find bikers to bike together and they have some clubs. In the same way, businessmen, they find a corporation or find some conferences where they could share ideas and businessmen will find businessmen. And in the same way, Christians are finding Christians because we same, we have same ideas. We have same philosophies and we say we have same Christ. We have same purposes. And it's amazing that we are packed into one organism, which is called church. And if you're a Christian, you love church because this is where you meet Christians who exhibit Christ. This is how you come close to Christ. We are united in one body 
for one purpose to glorify Christ. But as you can see, and this is true, we're all striving for unity, and this is a, such a problem for us today. The unity in the church is often a fragile thing. Unity in the family is often a tr- fragile thing. How many people you know being divorced? How many people you know left the church? How many church splits you know that happen? Why is that? How to fix that? Where do we find power of unity? What mobilizes us together? And the simple answer would be Christ. Christ is the only one who would mobilize us and unite us together as a church. He is the only thing. He is the only one who would be close to us. And only then we could feel that we are close to one another. In other words, I would say that Christ, that unity among Christians depends directly. And this is what I want to drill tonight. Unity among Christians depends directly on your understanding of your unity with Christ. Unity among Christians directly depends and flows from your understanding of your unity in Christ. When we read Ephesians, as I said, we could get lost in these massive doctrines, predestination, election, adoption, redemption, inheritance, and so on. But the book of Ephesians was written, I believe, because of a problem in Ephesus. Because of the problem that is common to many other churches, maybe Laodicea, Hierapolis, and rest of the churches. Certainly in churches like Corinth. What was it? There was a a dissension and there was a split in the church among Christians. Some Christians felt that they are elite. And this particular passages that we see in chapter two, as we continue to read, we would see that there is a distinction between Gentiles, Christians, the second class, quote unquote, Christians and Jewish Christians. And Paul, when he writes this epistle, he addresses the unity of the church, knowing that there is a distinction and dissension and separation among the Christians. And therefore he drills it. In every chapter, that there is more commonality among us than distinction. For instance, chapter one, he said, you are blessed by the same God. Chapter two, he says, you are pathetic sinner, same as the next who sits between you. In chapter three, he said, there's a mystery that he unites you together. And only then when he compound and build up these blocks of doctrines to instill that we're the same in the eyes of God. Only then he moves into the section chapter four to six and tell you how individually you could grow to maturity. But as a church, we have to understand that we have an identity in Christ and that is the same. Now who arrived yesterday? Can you raise your hand? See, there's a distinction among us. Here's the people who came and, and got the best spots, right? They're the best spots. We're the losers. We came late. There's another distinction. Some of you in, 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 in tents and upgrade tents, I see. Some of you in cabins, right? That is a distinction. Some of you in RV trailers. Some of you are in mobile homes and so on. There's so many things that we could say, hey, we're different. And we could pick on those differences. 
and, and move it not only in physical realm, but also in spiritual realm. My wife is more spiritual than your wife. I have more spiritual muscles and I flex it. I have mem- more memory verses. I have more giftedness and said, but this is all look very pathetic. When we look at chapter one and see that we all been blessed by the same God, regardless of any distinction or, or any of our merits, it was granted for us by to us by God. So that is why Paul is talking about theology a lot, doctrines a lot, because they have practical implications. That is what, we need to study election so that we don't have a partiality in the church. That is why we need to study inheritance of Christ and unity with Christ so that we would not have a dis- uh, separation in, in the church. And that is why in chapter two, he addresses this and he said, for he himself is our peace. By the way, another word for unity, being united is when you have peace. When we have war, We don't have unity. We have distinction. We have separation. We have fight. But when we have peace, we have unity. And that's why Paul starts his 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 letter to 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 Ephesians, and he said, "Grace to you and peace." Do you know how he ends the the letter? Peace to you in grace. Because those two come together. Your poor sinners being blessed by the same God, by grace, not by merit. And only that is the substance of your peace. So let's look at it step by step. Remember, we are trying to learn about the unity in the church that flows from unity with Christ. And I'll give you three things from these basically 14 verses. Three things. Number one, what promotes unity? What promotes practical unity, tangible, progressive unity? It is that you understand that you have the same riches in Christ. You have the same riches in Christ. I'm talking to a rich people, not different rich people, but equally rich people today. You're not poor if you're in a tent. You might be poor if you see your bank account depleted, but you are rich in Christ. Now, it is no fun when you don't have any money, right, here on earth, or constantly scramble for survivals. But the worst of it, when you have an account full of money and you don't use it, and you live like you are a beggar and in a poverty. Hetty Green who lived in and died in 1960. She could be called American greatest Scrooge. Her estate at that time was $100 million. Yet she lived in poverty. She only ate a cold oatmeal because she, ate, she hated to spend money to heat the water. One time her son had a severe leg injury, but instead of going to a hospital, she was looking for a free clinic in the city of New York. It took her too long to find one that when they actually arrive at the clinic, they have to amputate his leg. That is a Scrooge. Sometimes Christians will live like that. We have an account full of glory and graces and blessings from God, but we think that we are poor and therefore we are depressed. We feel that we need to enrich ourselves or to boast of something that we might have. 
So in verse chapter three, Paul says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places and Christ. And I want to show you three things. Number one, the source of our blessings is the same God. The sword of our blessings is the same. It's spiritual. And the sphere of our blessing is the same. And the scope of our blessings is the same. The source. Our blessings come equally from God. So you're not different. You didn't get different grace from God. You may be been greater sinner, but you got the same grace. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. And Paul is starting eulogy or saying good about God. Word blessed meaning say good things, say good things about God. And he's, he's blessing God, but here is the interesting play of words that we cannot really bless God. We could say good things about God. We could praise God. We could lift his name up. We could say, blessed be the name of our God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. But the very first thing that Psalmist in 103, Psalm 103, he said, because you have forgiven me my sins. We are blessing God because he has blessed us. Paul eulogizing God, saying, speaking well of God, because he received grace and the same grace, every faithful, every saint in Christ received it from God. And we have to understand who blesses who here in verse three. It's not that we given something to God because we cannot, we don't have anything, but God blesses us. And because of that blessings, we express our thanksgiving and appreciation. And we, all we could do is to say well about God to each other and to others. Why does God bless us? Anybody know? Why does God bless us? It just says God blessed us in past tense. And he blessed us according to the kind intention of his will. Three times mentioned in verse five, according to the kind intention of his will, he blessed us. Verse seven, according to the riches of his grace, he's blessed us. Verse nine, according to his kind intention. And verse 11, according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. The simple answer why God blesses us, because he wants to. That's his will. Not because you married it, because you earn it, or because you're different, but because he wanted to. Now, the sort of blessing is also the same. We may ask for physical things. We may ask for health. We may ask for a godly family and so on. But the blessing that is, is, is spoken here by Paul is what? It's a spiritual blessing. And a spiritual is an opposite of material blessing. It's a spiritual blessing that comes from the spirit. What kind of blessings is this? Spiritual. And Paul said, listen, he blessed you. And in verse 17 and 18, he said, he already blessed you. Don't ask for that blessing. Ask that he would enlighten your eyes, that you could see how much you have. Now, for some people, blessings, spiritual, means nothing. Like, what do I really have? Like, what do I really have? I don't have a new car. I don't have new, you know, I'm sick and I'm asking for relief of sickness. And God doesn't answer often. But the spiritual is a most real thing. It is. 
Spiritual blessing is a true blessing that Paul says. Blessings here are con contrast to material blessings. Spiritual world is more, far more real than physical. It's far more, material world is, is very temporal. And spiritual world is very, is, is infinite. And Paul is saying here that blessings that come from the spirit is aiming not to bless you in material things, but with spiritual things and they're freely bestow upon us and they're stored in heaven. And when we think about this, we would ask like, what do we really have? What do we really have? The spiritual blessing. What is it? And there Paul is moving to the scope of the blessings in the next verses. He expound clearly. And again, we're not going to spend time on each doctrine, but the scope of the blessing is immense. If you have Christ, you have really everything. The context makes it clear that what the gifts are, what is in your bank account, really. What do you have? You have these promises, an amazing, enormous spiritual reality that we need to appreciate. These would include such a thing as election to holiness, adoption of son, redemption from slavery, forgiveness from sin. And given a gift of the Holy Spirit. What are those blessings? Let's just go quickly. Verse 4 tells us that God loves us so much that he chose us. Now again, he chose us. Not because he foreseen what you would do. But he chose us because he loved you. Simple as that. I don't understand that. Don't ask me. How is that reconciled with the free will? I might give you some fancy answer but really it says what it says he just chose you because he loved you i like how spurgeon once said he said i'm glad that god chose me before i was born because he wouldn't do it after i would be born because he would see what kind of sinner i am now that is not particularly true because god knows everything he's seen you and he chose you anyway. Verse four says that God loves you. This is the blessing. This is the things in your account. This is the spiritual blessing. Uh, do you appreciate that more than a new car, more than a new relationship here on earth, more than a, a new career? Do you appreciate that, that he chose you for real before the foundation of the world in love? Verse five tells us that he predestined us to adoption as sons. Does it count for anything? Like I am a son and I'm a daughter of the most high God. Does it matter? Verse 6 tells us that God freely lavished on us his grace, meaning that he forgave everything, all of our offenses. Verse 7 tells us that we're redeemed by the blood of his son. Not just by any blood, but the blood of his son. Verses 7 and 8 tells us that God lavished on us his riches of his grace, meaning that everything that he has, all that he has, all the grace and love, he just poured upon us. That was planned. Verse 9 and 10, it says that he has purpose for us, purpose for universe, purpose to surround Christ with us. Verse 10 and 11 says that we have obtained an inheritance that belongs to God. Inheritance that are imperishable, incorruptible, securely stored in heaven for you. Verse 12 tells us that all the above that was given to us is culminated in the hope that you have a hope in Christ. Verse 13 and 14 tells us 
that it is Christ in Christ that we have been sealed, that we're packed in Christ and we're secure, meaning that we have a real assurance since we have a man who went straight through death and came out invincible. Does this account for anything? How much do you think about your bank account, physical bank account and your spiritual bank account? And where's your joy? Now, Our unity with Christ comes from understanding that we have such a blessings through him. We have so much through him and that we are the same because he lavished on us poor sinners. The same. They come from God, the father. The second thing I want to see you show you that it is the same relationship that we experience. Not only that we have same riches, We're equally rich in Christ, equally. You don't have more than I do, or I don't have more than you. If you have some spiritual advanced giftedness, it really means nothing. That doesn't mean that you are more rich. But the thing is here that we often could miss that we have same relationship in Christ. Here's the phrase that repeated and it's favorite of Paul. He repeats the phrase in Christ. Where are those blessings? They are stored in heaven, but it says in Christ. Christ is the person that contains all the blessings. In the last few years, the topic of union with Christ popped into my mind many times. And I'm growing in understanding because we always say, well, I'm, I'm one with Christ. I'm united with Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? And if you ask me before, do you understand the doctrine of union with Christ? Do you understand that it is important doctrine? I would say yes. Do you, and, I, and if you ask why is it important? I would hesitate to answer. Why is it important? Well, because it is important because through Christ. I not only have all the blessings, but I also have God. It reminds me of of my cousins. When we were little, my aunt would come from the grocery store and she would bring a lot of suitcases with goodies. And when I spent time with them and they would eagerly waiting for mom to come, but all for the reason of the goodies. And when they come, when she comes and open the door, they, they run to her and says, mommy. And they just went straight to the bags to see what's in it. And we often miss, we all, we could think about, hey, we're the same blessed people by God. But we miss the person who gives us these blessings. And we miss the relationship with Christ. The idea that we are one with Christ is not often pops into our minds. We don't sing many songs. I am one with the, with Christ. We don't hear much sermons. We don't read much books about it. And every time we come to communion, we struggle with this idea. What does it mean? Right? What does it mean? How do I do this communion thing? Okay. Am I one with Christ? What should I feel? What should I do? We often feel aloof if we'll be honest, from Christ, then united. But it doesn't matter what we feel. 
we need to look what it says in the scripture and what is the fact. And the fact is that you and I have relationship with this person. He's not only given of goodies, he is the person that loves you and you are in him. You are in him. Let me define the unity with Christ. It is a complete identification with Christ in his work through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. It is a spiritual union. It is a vital union. It is a complete union. It is a permanent union. A powerful connection with the one who lives and reigns above, whose life is both with us and in us. And from the moment we are born into the family of God, through the time we die and up to the time of resurrection, we are surely and securely placed in Christ. And we are one with the spirit, we're one with Christ, and we're one with the Father. Now, I don't mean it in, in any pantheistic way that I am God and the tree is God and everybody is God. But in some very, very mystical way that we will be re- revealed in heaven that we are united in him, united in his purposes for his own glory. John admits this. He said, we do not know who will be. We know who we are right now. We're children of God, but it will be revealed who will become. Now, union with Christ is very vital. And we need to think about more and more. Paul repeats here nine times in verse, uh, chapter, chapter one, verse, two, uh, verse one to 14, in Christ, in him, in him, through him. He repeats more than 64 times this phrase in Christ in his other passages. For Paul, Christ is everything. He can't think about himself without Christ. His position with Christ. He said we are said to be crucified with him in Galatians 2.20. We died with Christ, Galatians 2.20. We were buried with him, Romans 6.4. We are made alive and raised up with him, Ephesians 5, just 2 and 5. We are presently positionally seated with him in heavenly places, Ephesians 2, 6. We are glorified with Christ, Romans 8, 17. We will be able to reign with Christ, 2 Timothy 2, 12. In other hands, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, but with me, you have everything that I have. So this association with Christ, this connection with Christ, it is the same for every Christian, regardless where you are on your spiritual level. Spiritual maturity, it doesn't matter. Positionally, you're same. You're the same. And that should encourage us. That should encourage us. We're building the building of the church. Where are the blocks? Where are the bricks? The same. We have different positions. This is different giftedness. But we have same relationship to Christ. Now, in Christ as I said, appeared many, many times in the scripture. And you could see that everything that happened to us, it happened to us in Christ. It is in Christ that he chose us and he blessed us. In Christ that he redeemed us. In Christ that he adopted us. Everything is in Christ. John Piper said, no saving good, no eternal good, no God exalting good, no soul satisfying good comes to us except as we are connected to Christ. And I'll tell you, there is no other reason why God would accept you or bless you apart from Christ. Because he loved Christ, because God the Father has a relationship with Christ, he wants to have a relationship with you. 
The father blesses his son by giving him all the people who believe in Jesus. And the father blesses every believer by giving them to son. The emphasis here is on relationship. And you could see these phrases that appears from verses 4 to 14, praises like love. You're talking about relationship. Can you imagine love without relationship? Adoption. Can you adopt without having relationship? Redemption. Can you save someone by without relationship? Forgiveness. Can you forgive someone without relationship? Inheritance. Can you imagine that someone give you inheritance without any relationship to you? Everything is talking about relationship and related to Christ. Now, for better understanding, what does it mean in Christ that we have all the blessings and all the relationship with God in Christ? Think about Christ as a place or a sphere or a vehicle. And I have a freedom, Jesus will forgive me, to allude him to a plane. That might help us to understand. That if we just say that, think about Jesus as a plane. Let's say you're sitting in an airport and you want to fly to a sunny Honolulu. Right, I want to fly to sunny Honolulu sometimes. So you sit in the airport and you're watching the plane. What is your relationship? Or what, do you, what relationship do you need to have with the plane to get to Honolulu? What kind of relationship? And we could think about Christ in that matter. What kind of relationship do I have to have with him to actually receive the unity in union with, Christ, with, with the Father and with the Trinity? If you would just say, well, I need to submit to this plane. I just need to submit under I just need to go under the plane and submit to his authority. I just submit. I obey, right? Probably would not do any good for you, right? You get crushed. Or you would say, well, I need to be inspired by this plane. You look in the, through the mirror and, you, and through the window and say, well, wow, great plane, great takeoff. One day, I think I'm going to do the same. Awesome. You're just inspired. You're just in, wow, great. Or you may have a relationship like following the plane. Just I'm going to sacrifice everything and I'm going to follow the plane, right? I know the direction, trajectory. I'm just going to follow the plane. I'm going to get to Honolulu. Is that going to get you there? What kind of relationship do you need to have with the plane to get to Honolulu? And simply says that you don't need to be under it or behind it or being inspired by it, but you need to be in it. You need to be in it, in the plane. And only then you could get to the destination. Now, the question is, can I get to Honolulu would be equal to the plane get to Honolulu. Everything that happens to Christ happens to me. His righteousness, his acceptance by God, his vindication, his death, His resurrection is applied to me. And I think at the heart of biblical idea of being in Christ, it's something like that. According to New Testament, to be in Christ is to say that by union with him, whatever is true of him, true of me. Whatever true of my Savior, true of me. And that takes by faith. You cannot test it. You cannot see it. You cannot touch it. It is by faith. You believe in it. 
He was raised and I will be raised. He is vindicated and I will be vindicated. He is loved and I am loved. And everything that comes with him, it's mine. In this sense, we are no different. You might be a new believer today. You're blessed by God. Same as believer who was there for 60 years. You have the same relationship with Christ. You don't have any upper level relationship with Jesus. It's the same. And therefore, when we treat one another, it should be the same. Like you have the same sins and forgiveness and adoption and inheritance and the spirit in you. And I'm treating you as the son and the daughter of God because you have relationship with Jesus. You know, this union with Christ is so sweet if we just think about it. And it's so vital for us. And it reaches much higher than just forgiveness. You know, when, when you think about salvation, you can think about all these doctrines that were listed. But you could miss it all. Because if those, those doctrines do not lead you into a saving and un, united relationship with Christ, intimate relationship with Christ, you failed. The truth of the gospel reaches much higher than just forgiveness of sin, than just escaping from hell, reaches much higher than just to be holy and blameless before God. It reaches much higher than just an experience of bliss of heaven. Salvation, justification, sanctification, holiness are means to bring us into the loving relationship with Christ. That is all. Dirty sinners cannot spend time with holy God and therefore you need to be sanctified. You need to be paid for. Why? Why? So that you would have communion with Christ. And we have it now. Saving faith is nothing other than the act of the whole rational soul by which it's received God as the highest end and Christ as the one and only mediator for this purpose that we may be united with him. That is our goal. Now, how do, how, how do you value your union with Christ? Do you even think about it? Now, I ask you, when you think about your riches, what do you think? About your car, you bought your IRA account, whatever. Or are you thinking about that I have all these riches that comes from the doctrines explained to me? When you think about your union with Christ, do you see the value of it? Do we think about this? Does it warm your heart? Like I have that relationship with Christ. And I know it. I might not feel it. I might forgot it. But I have it because he told me that he is always with me. Think for a moment about heaven right now. Just think. Think about heaven. It's hard, right? With this beautiful view. Thinking about earth and camping. Think about heaven. What are you thinking about? Listen, the heaven is beautiful. It's full of gold and pearls. Heaven promises eternal life. Life without health problems, death, weeping, financial problem, relationship problem, kids problem, wife problem. That's what it promises. 
But are you thinking about Christ? Do you think about Christ when you think about heaven? If we think about everything else but miss on Christ, it is no better than hell. Martin Luther once said, I'd rather be in hell with Christ than in heaven without him. Heaven would be but a low thing without God, said Augustine. And they both reflected on Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you and beside you? I desire nothing on earth. Oh, how far sometimes we are from this thought. That we want to go to heaven and we miss Christ. Because we don't dwell on relationship with Christ today. We must encourage one another with Christ. Christ unites us. You and me are in Christ. We have the greatest possession not just blessings, but Christ himself. This is what our unity starts in the church. The more your eyes are open to see Christ's value, the more we experience unity in the church. Now, lastly, how do we promote unity? We understand that we have a same blesser. We have the same blessings. All this bank account, fat bank account, it's the same for everyone. You're no better. There's no second class citizens here. We have the same relationship with Christ. There's no difference. And the third thing, we are united by our goal and purposes. Three times in these verses, it says why it all happens. Why blessings? Why relationship? It says here in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Right? To the praise of the glory of his grace. He repeated to the praise of his glory in verse 12. And it says in verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Do you see that? That's the end goal. Unity brings glory to God. Not just salvation, not just forgiveness, unity. Jesus is united with the Father. And he wants us to be united with him. And he said, glorify me with the glory that I had before the foundation of the world. And I would you glorify these men that you gave it to me also. It promotes unity. Unity promotes glory of, of God. When God the Father has elected us to adoption, it says that to the praise of the glory of his grace. Because now we are united as sons and daughters. When son redeems us from the slavery by blood, it says to the praise of his glory. Unity unites us to praise God. And when spirit sealed us in Christ, assuring the completion of our salvation, that we would not be lost and that the spirit packed us securely in Christ and packed himself in us just to make sure that we would not panic, that God would abandon us. Why? So that he would deliver us into the intimate relationship to the praise of his glory. Sometimes we separate glory from the unity glory from the relationship. Like if it's something different, no, all things working to the glory because God wants to have relationship with you and me. Now, what does it mean practically? Number one, that God's, God promotes unity for promoting his glory. That's what he does. He wants to glorify himself by making everything peaceful. There's no war, no enmity, not in the church, 
not in the universe. At some point, he was going to fill all things in one thing, and it would be peace, complete peace. Number two, it leads us to praise. When we understand that what we have in Christ, that he unites us with himself, it leads us to praise him. That's why we pray. That's what we sing in. That's what we tell in everyone. How glorious is our God. He united with us. We're part of God thing. God's family. It's an amazing thing. It promotes us to praise him to the praise of his glory. All these songs, they're just not little songs. It's just praising for that God accepted us. Number three, it also means that the praise of God's to the praise of God's glory would be tangibly visible through our union with believers. This is where he says, you also, Paul says, in him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Also being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's what he wants us to do. It's obvious the glory of God when we have, when we relate to one another, when we don't fight. And number four, this is the most powerful evangelism ever that glorifies God. When people see love among one another and they would see that we belong to him. It says by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you loved one another, what is the reason for separation? What is the reason for schism and dissensions? What is the reason for being disunited in the church? Well, when we forget that we're united by the same blessing, same Christ relationship and the same goal to praise him. Our union with Christ is the goal of our conversion is the goal of our conversion the heart of our justification, the fuel for our sanctification and the center of our church life. We must long to know it better for we do not understand it quite well. We don't have full understanding of it. Like in Philippians three twelve, Paul says after all, it's a hidden union. It is the glory awaiting its full eschatological revelation, but the day is coming when the full extent of our blessings through union with Christ will cause us to gasp in wonder, adoration, and praise. I want to conclude with this, that if we truly meditate on the union with Christ, and what does that mean for us? We would never be depressed. We always would say, this is enough. That's what leads us to Glory. In Jewish custom, often they repeat at Passover, after performing Passover, they repeat the story of redemption from Egypt. And it's a long recitation when a leader, a rabbi, tells something, the part of the story, the phrase, and the whole congregation responds. It would have been enough. It would have been enough. And it goes kind of like this. And I give you a couple of examples. If God would deliver us from the slavery of Egypt, but did not punish Egypt, it would have been enough. If God would spare our firstborns 
and do not kill the firstborns of Egypt, it would have been enough. If God would take us out of Egypt, but did not crush the gods of Egypt, it would have been enough. If God would part the Red Sea and deliver us from Pharaoh's army, but would not kill the Pharaoh and his army, it would have been enough. If God would provide for us in the wilderness and would not deliver us into the promised land, it would have been enough. You see, we have Christ. When we could say we have much more in Christ than Israelites. And we could say with full assurance, it is enough. We have Christ. What else do we need? Now, granted, we don't experience everything yet now. The only thing that is apparent right now, it's obvious how this union expresses itself is in joy in peace. And when you don't have those two, you know that you forgot that you've been united to the most powerful, glorious, richest person on earth. Our union with one another, it flows from the union with Christ. Father, we thank you. May you bless us, Lord, as we learn. We understand a little. Sometimes we see it like in a dim glass. We understand part. But we know that the Spirit working in us and that He opening our eyes to the revelation and the wisdom and the knowledge of Him. And I know that Jesus is praying that our eyes would be enlightened so that we will see and to know the hope of your calling and to see all the riches of your glory and all the inheritance of the saints and that all the surpassing greatness of your power toward us who believe. That's what we want to do. And as we grow in understanding of how tightly we are connected with you and how much we have in you, then we would see and appreciate people around us and that we would strive for unity that promotes and brings the glory to the Father. For about, apart from grace and apart from peace, there would be no glory. So I pray may you bless us and bless this camp when we could set aside our differences, when we would not concentrate on the things that separate us, but may we focus on Christ who unites us. For in him, we have all things. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.